Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful J.C. Herrera and Julio Cacho. Gentlemen, are you ready to do this? Let's do it. Yes. I like it. Let's let's go. Julio is the CIO of Inscription Capital, and J.C. is the managing director with Inscription. They are award-winning economists, managing billions of dollars. I'm excited to have you on. Gentlemen, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Thanks, George. Um, well, basically, just a little bit about myself first, and then I'll let Julio get, in, get into his background. I grew up in Houston, um, spent my entire life, professional life, um, in the financial markets. After graduating from the University of Texas, I worked in Madrid for about a year with a consulting firm there, then came back to Houston, worked for Citigroup uh, in the private bank, worked there for about uh, four years, started a hedge fund from there. Uh, We built that hedge fund in 2010, no, 2008, right right in the middle of the financial crisis. We started the, the hedge fund, sold it in 2015. And in 2015, I got together with Julio and we created... Quantor Capital, which is a currently an asset manager that started off as a family office. And from Quantor Capital, we also created an investment advisory firm called Inscription Capital that today uh, manages a little bit over $1.2 billion. And we focus on really trying to show people and, and, and investors that there's a scientific way to investing. And, um, and, and yeah, I think that's a little bit of the overall background of, of, of myself, Julio. Uh, yes, so um, I am mainly an, academ- an academic person, so I had a PhD uh, in economics from Princeton University, and then after that I started working in, in a, for a hedge fund in New York. Um, I spent a few years working for the Sif uh, Brothers, which is a wealthy family of New York. Uh, I had a great time with them. But then I wanted to live closer to Mexico, so I moved to Houston. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, teaching and helping people, so I, I decided to start teaching at Rice University. Uh, and then I, I, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Juan Carlos, and we started this, this company to become a financial advisor and an asset manager. And I enjoyed, as I said, helping uh, and teaching people in what's the best way to invest. Nice, I certainly appreciate all that. Um, so the best way to invest, uh, I, I think if you were to ask people that, they'd have a hard time coming back because there seems like there's a million different ways to invest, right? So I don't wanna call it noise, but it seems like there's a lot of noise in the marketplace. That's right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, there's, there is, there. There is a there is a way that's going to give you um, the highest probability to invest, and that's what we try to tell people. Um, basically, our philosophy is, is is three things. One is it's incredibly difficult to outperform the market, meaning there is because the, because there's a lot of participants investing, and when when I say the market, I don't mean just the stock market. I mean any market, the real estate market, the stock market, the um, the bond market, right? 
when there is competition, when there's people going after, you know, um, uh, you know, in trying to evaluate what a price is, what they should pay for something, um, it, it, the game becomes very competitive, right? And so if you think of the market as the sum of all the components of it, so the easiest example is the stock market. If you take the stock market as an example, right, um, the whole market is the aggregate of everyone there. And then for every person that outperforms the sum of everyone, the market, right, there has to be someone that underperforms the market, okay? So this is called a zero-sum game, okay? And so what people don't realize is that, you know, are you better off investing just in the market and getting the market returns? Or are you better off trying to try, trying to outperform and beat the market? And mo what most people end up doing is trying to outperform the market. And over the long haul, this becomes a very, very difficult thing to accomplish. Um, again, for because of competition and because of costs and fees. Um, so because of this, and there's all there's enough academic evidence to support this. Um, you know, there's a famous scene in 1987's um, um, movie uh, Wall Street with um, Charlie Sheen and uh, Michael Douglas acting as uh, Gordon Gecko. And Michael Douglas turns to Charlie Sheen and says, you know why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500? Because they're sheep. And this is a quote back in 1987. This is, this is not something new where right. the evidence is showing that people cannot outperform the market. Um, and so the best thing we try to tell our clients is – the best advice we can give is diversify as much as you possibly can in as many asset classes as you possibly can and try to replicate the market. The more you diversify and the more you can invest in various markets, okay, the higher the probability goes up of a positive expected return in the future. Um, and I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Julio, but that's basically the, the gist of it. Yeah, no, that's fine. Nice. Why, so if there's so many people out there who are, why do so many people resist that? Uh, so I think there are two, two factors. One is that um, uh, many people are not aware of the, of the facts, just as simple as that. Uh, many people are not aware that uh, we have more than 70 years of uh, theoretical uh, work on this, and but not only theoretical, also empirical work, more than 70 years of empirical data that shows that um, it's, uh, it's uh, unprobable to beat the market. So it's, it's uh, very unlikely to really beat the market. There are going to be people that are able to be the market, and those are the ones that you are going to see on the TV, on the news. Um, but it's very unlikely. And just by randomness, you will always have uh, people outperforming. Um, but it's, as I said, it's mainly because we cannot, because it's um, it's it's uh, it's it's luck in some sense, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's luck. So for many people, it's really hard to believe. That um, that there is no uh, an algorithm out there, or there is no something that will allow you to beat the market. But as Juan Carlos was saying, it's so competitive. I think it's the most competitive industry in the world. So it's so competitive that uh, it's it's extremely unlikely that 
one person is going to outperform the rest of, of the people. And if someone outperforms, as, as Juan Carlos said, is, is, is mainly because of, of luck, really. So it's hard for people to believe this. On the other hand, you have survivorship bias. These are more psychological biases that people have, um, which is that um, uh, people tend to be like trend follow, followers. If they see that the real estate has been doing well, they are going to try to invest in, in real estate, for example. Uh, if they see that there is a new rich person uh, in the world, they're going to try to mimic the behavior of that new, new rich person. And that's called kind of survivorship, survivorship bias, uh, that you only focus, that you only focus on the 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 success stories, but you don't take into account all the other millions of people that were trying the same thing, but they were not success successful. So it's kind of the it's kind of the lottery. You observe, you know about the person that won the lottery, but you don't observe all the people that bought the tickets for the lottery so it, that's why it's so hard for people to 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 to, rea to realize this um but as i said um uh, there are these facts and i part of our work actually now is to disseminate disseminate this knowledge and to uh, and to help people understand these results and these facts and, and to elaborate on that, one of the hardest things people have uh, have trouble with is seeing that, you know, in every investment uh, performance that you see, there's a little disclosure on the bottom that says past performance is not indicative of future results. It's it's in there because the regulator, the regulators like the SEC make people put it in there, but it's in there for a reason because it's true. And so <laughs> that's the also the biggest obstacle. People will go and invest in things that have gone up or a fund manager that has gone up a lot. People like to invest with Warren Buffett because of his past results. But if you take Warren Buffett, for example, the last 15 years, he has not outperformed the market and it's become harder and harder and harder for him to outperform. But because he did and he did, he did it by a lot early on, he's got this amazing 50 year track record that people see that, that gravitate towards him. Right. And you can you can say this for a lot of fund managers. And what ends up happening is there's no way to disentangle, like Julio was saying, the lucky versus the skillful. So there might be a lot of skillful fund managers out there. The problem is, is they're mixed in with the lucky ones. And it's impossible to determine which ones are the lucky and which ones are the skillful. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fascinating. And I think as, as, as human beings, what has helped us to probably be successful in every other area of our lives in business that's helped me to amass this 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 money that I'm interested in investing, that part of my brain probably also says, well, then I can take and apply my know-how to actually outperform the market. But in fact, it's it's been proven that you can't. But those 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 biases that Julio was talking about, those are probably some of the things that if we're not aware of, it's going to cause us to lose money. It's kind of like dieting, right? I mean, the formula to be a successful investor is pretty straightforward. It's don't try to beat the market, replicate the markets as, as for as low cost as possible and diversify as much as possible, okay? It's kind of like if I want to lose weight, I can you know, really just exercise more and eat healthy. It's, they're, they're, I don't need to go buy 50 diet books to do this, right? The, the formula <laughs> is pretty straightforward. The problem is we have a lot of temptations in both. In eating, we have the temptations of constant food, constant social lives with, 
you know, parties and whatnot. And in investing, we're constantly bombarded also by CNBC's latest stock pick or the financial journal's latest stock pick or your buddy's new investment in Bitcoin or whatever it is, right? It's always this bombardment. So the temptations are, are very difficult to ignore. Yeah, yeah, that certainly makes sense. As human beings, we, we are wanting that, we are wanting a hack, but then I think that we also really want certainty. So I imagine that once people are able to have a conversation with you, JC, and you, Julio, you say, hey, here, here, here's the evidence, here's what our approach is, there's, there's no guarantees, but we are really positioning ourselves for success. I imagine that that inspires that confidence of knowing that I'm really doing the right things. Yes, exactly. And that's what we try to do, to, to try to give them certainty in the sense that, okay, this is what uh, the science tells us, right? These are the proofs that we have, uh, not only because uh, the proofs that we are telling them, but also other academic people and it's the kind of the convention, right, among scientific people. So that, 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 that and that's, uh, as you're saying, that's kind of our goal, to give them certainty that they are doing the best thing they can do with their money, right? I mean, their the outcomes will depend on on on. I mean, will depend on really on luck in sure. the sense that whether we have a good economy going forward, or there's a recession, or something like that. But those are things we cannot control. But at least you are positioned in a way that you are going to optimize your your return for the risk that you are taking, right? Which is a very important. Um, I, I think component, right? That people realize that expected returns are linked to the risk they are taking, right? I mean, it's just a compensation for the risk that people are taking. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It really is a, a function of stripping away uh, previous beliefs that 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 we probably have, educating on what the future has, or rather, the past has been. Uh, helping people to reconcile the desire to to want to hack or 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 um, get some kind of a, a magic pill or something like that, and then to move forward with that. Listen, we're 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 taking on risk, but we really what we're trying to do is position ourselves for success and optimize our ability to um, be financially successful and be a successful investor. This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform for your company, your organization, and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and to Julio, you know, to elaborate a little, little more, a little bit more on what Julio was saying, risk and return are related, and this is something that people forget. People will say. Oh, well, I found this investment that's 11% returns and zero risk. That doesn't exist, right? right? That, that, that's now a lot. That doesn't mean someone is lying to you or someone is trying to, you know, um, deceive you. In the end, they're just not my, the person selling you this investment might not, might just not be aware of the risks, right? But they're there. And so if people can always remember that risk and return are joined by the hip. If you want high returns, you have got to take a lot of risk. If you are very risk averse, right, and you cannot tolerate risk, you have to settle for low returns. And so that's the that's the gist of it. So if, I think if people can remember that, um, it'll go a long ways to deciding how how they should invest. Yeah, Julio, from a 
from an academic standpoint or just 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 from your perspective um because you're you're a phd you've 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 taught at university level you're obviously managing tons of money how do you help people figure out the kind of investor that they are because just because i'm 25 doesn't mean i should be super aggressive right you're right. I mean, there. Are, I think there are always two components when you invest. Uh, one is uh, the instruments that you're going to use or the uh, the portfolios that you're going to use. But the other part component is your risk tolerance, right? I mean, the, the tolerance that you have toward risk. So uh, someone that, uh, that is uh, extremely uh, risk averse uh, will not want to take too much risk, even even if you are 25 years old, right? I mean, if you don't enjoy your your the, the value of your portfolio fluctuating too much, of course you cannot take too much risk. Uh, but also, it could be that you are an older person, but you are risk tolerant, and you may want to take uh, a lot a lot of risk. I mean, you you don't mind if it fluctuates your portfolio, so. As you're saying, so it, it will depend on the preferences of the person. So what we typically do, what we typically do is we try to um, understand the risk tolerance of the person. Or we also try to give to explain to them exactly what types of risks they're going to take mm. so that we can target a portfolio that adjusts to their preference and to also to their uh, level of knowledge, right? Because um, m- m- sometimes this is, is difficult to, to really uh, understand or trust, actually, uh, your investments. So over time, you can learn about what you are investing in, and maybe your risk tolerance can increase over time also, because now you understand better your, your, your investments. So... Um, so we work a lot with uh, with uh, with our clients because that's uh, the only part that is less uh, science, I would say, is to determine the, the 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 tolerance towards risk because that's a preference, right? I mean, everybody has a different taste toward risk, and that's a component that we try to extract from the people. And we do this by asking them questions, for example, about if, uh, as, as we were telling, uh, as, as you were saying about uh, how um, uh, how do they feel if their portfolio fluctuates? Uh, maybe we can uh, uh, split the portfolio in, in, in two or three components. One that maybe will not fluctuate too much, one that will fluctuate a lot. And that way, uh, psychologically, uh, people can, uh, people can uh, maybe support higher risk in one part of their portfolio but less risk in another part of their portfolio. So for example, if they need to buy a house next year, uh, maybe you cannot put that money in, in, in too much risk, right? Because they are gonna need that money um, to, pay, to, to make, uh, maybe make a down payment. So for that money, we will recommend maybe you shouldn't put, uh, put too much risk with, with this money. But if there's money that you're gonna need uh, for retirement and you are 25 years old, Maybe that component you can take you can take um, higher risk, which means higher expected return in the future, 
And you can tolerate that because it's only a small part maybe of your portfolio, right? Uh, but it's a combination. It's a combination of things. I don't know, Juan Carlos, if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it, who you hit it on the spot, right? It's everyone's risk tolerance is different. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to be different to how they approach risk. But I think ri- finding your risk tolerance, if you can get your risk tolerance right, okay, you should always be fully invested. So an important thing I want to say here is don't try to also time the market. Mm. Okay. A lot of people say, okay, well, um, right now because of X, Y, Z coronavirus or the elections or whatnot, or hyperinflation or whatever they're reasoning to not be in the market, they'll hold cash and then they'll go in the market. And then they fear that there's, there's a recession coming and they might then tell their brokers or they might sell this constant going in and out is very difficult to do over time because let's just say, for example, that you get it right and you, you know, you're not in the market and the recession comes. You think you're a rock star and you did amazing, you missed the recession. <laughs> but when do you get back in, right? Do you get back? So if you don't time it perfectly to get back in and you miss out on the best performing days of the markets, usually the best performing days of the markets end up costing you more than missing out on the worst days of the markets. So it's very important for people to get their risk tolerance right. In that way, they can continuously be invested. And if they're invested in a conservative portfolio, well, maybe we tell them, look, you might expect to be down 10, 10 to 15% in a very, very bad recession situation. Can you tolerate that? And if the answer is yes, you're fine. In an aggressive portfolio, which would be, for example, let's say 100% stock portfolio or 100% real estate and stock portfolio, um, you could easily be down 50, 60%. This is what has occurred in the past, right, with these portfolios. So if you cannot tolerate being down 50 to 60% at any given point in time, then you shouldn't be invested in stocks or real estate, right? Because that's gonna ha- it's gonna happen at some point without your it, it, without you having anything to do with it, right? You could be the best investor in the world, but even the Warren Buffetts of the world have had these big drawdowns. The 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 the, the thing I always like to tell people to remember is, look, Warren Buffett sometimes will go through these 50, 40 percent drawdowns. He doesn't care because his lifestyle, his risk tolerance, and the amount of money that he has doesn't affect his personal life, right? So because you know his his certain spending and his lifestyle is so small compared to his overall net worth, if his net worth is down 50%, it, he doesn't he doesn't lose sleep. The problem most people get into is that as if their portfolios are down 50%, their lifestyles is also have also adjusted upwards, right? So when they're down 50%, they start panicking. So I think that's a, that's one one big takeaway here. Yeah, I think that that's really well said. Well, gentlemen, people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? I think really that, that to remember that there's a scientific way to invest and that they're 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 you know don't take our word for it you know start start researching yourself that there is this this way that's going to increase your probabilities of having a successful um um, um probability of of achieving your 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 your, your desired investment goals so there is a scientific way of doing. Try to replicate the markets. Try to try to maintain your costs as low as possible, and um, and then try to get your risk tolerance right. I think would be my three big things. Well, I think that that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on, come on, gentlemen. Thank you both for coming on. Where can where can uh, where can the people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? People can uh, check out our websites at uh, JC. I mean, uh, JC. Sorry. People can check out our um, our um, 
our websites for both companies that we run, Julio and I, we run, uh, we're founding partners of Quantor Capital. That's uh, Quantor, Q-U-A-N-T-O-R, capital.com. And we're also, Julio is the chief investment officer, and I'm a managing partner at inscriptioncapital.com. So Inscription Capital and Quantor Capital are two places people can, can find us. Um, Julio, you want to give your Twitters? and Yes, uh, I am also in Twitter. Um, so my name is Julio Cacho. So it's at J-C-A-C-H-O-D-I-A-Z. So it's J Cacho Diaz all together. That's my Twitter uh, name. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Julio and JC your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to QuantorCapital.com. Check out InscriptionCapital.com and find Julio on Twitter as well. I'll list all of those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, gentlemen. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.